welcome to the Big Leads Press Pass podcast. I am your host, Lee McEwen, and today with us from The Athletic, we have Arif Hassan. Arif, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. And as always, we'll start with just uh, how about you just, in your own words, explain your journey through sports media from when you first kind of realized this is what you wanted to do to how you ended up covering the Vikings for The Athletic. <laughs> sure, it's a, a fairly fairly broad mandate, but um, yeah, I uh, uh, I was originally uh, working in politics <laughs> way back in around 2009, and um, you know I was, I was trying to figure out uh, <laughs> what uh, what I could do to pass the time, which is very difficult. I was working like 80 hour weeks, didn't love it, um, but you know I'd stumbled on uh, a number of, of blogs, and and I'd, I'd kind of noticed that. Uh, you know, a lot of sports media that I was reading at the time, and, and it's evolved a lot since then, uh, wasn't really answering the questions I wanted to, to have answered. It was, it was kind of very uh, narrative-driven, and I was, like, trying to figure out, you know, who to start in fantasy or who was kind of, like, the best quarterback in the draft or, or things like that. And so um, in exploring a lot of that, I I'd, I'd kind of figured I'd stumbled on um, a lot of arguments that, that hadn't really been explored. And so uh, I went over to a website, the Daily Norseman, and I found the, you know, they've got the fan post section that allows anybody to post anything. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I just kind of wrote up, you know, hey, you know, these arguments, you know, that people are making, I think it was like Cam Newton at the time, um, you know, these arguments don't make a lot of sense. You know, it, it, I don't think this helps us learn about quarterbacks. And, you know, that got a positive response. So I just kind of kept posting. And after a while, I think it was after the stadium debate in Minnesota about the Vikings, you know, they had asked me to, to start posting on the front page. Um, and I'm still working this this job in politics. I, I, I started hating. It was just uh, kind of taking all of my time. I wasn't very good at it. Uh, and um, And I was spending more and more time you know, trying to figure out kind of what to write or what to read or whatever. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, my pieces were getting enough feedback that someone had suggested that I start uh, writing at the Bleach Report for money. And at the time, you know, you could just send in a sample of your writing. They would have it, you know, editor. I don't think it's really quite that way anymore. Um, but they had kind of an open call. Uh, and, uh, you know, I had applied, I got in, and I started writing articles about the Vikings. Um, and I was able to get, you know, a couple of days in training camp, uh, with a press pass, you know, they, in, the Vikings do this thing where they, they let bloggers in for a couple of days of training camp, uh, and, uh, and, and act like media, which at the time was just really remarkable. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I went there and I was able to, you know, talk about, you know, some of the, the players on the roster that, you know, not a lot of people were talking about just because it was kind of uninteresting, right? You know, 90-man roster, players that are kind of uh, later on the depth chart. But, you know, because nobody was talking about it, I was able to get a little bit of traction. I was able to, you know, ask some questions and, uh, you know, pressures and stuff like that. And I just really loved the whole experience, you know, talking about, you know, players that, that, you know, no one had really, you know, thought about that much and then getting to talk to them about their story. One of the first articles I'd, I'd ever published after interviewing a player was actually about Adam Thielen, uh, which that was back in, you know, 2013, 2014. Uh, that turned out to be, you know, pretty prescient, you know, he was a walk-on, so nobody was trying to get an interview with him. Uh, um, and, uh, uh, and from there, it just kind of grew. You know, I was able to to become an editor in chief of a blog. From there, I was uh, able to kind of move on to a blog network. And uh, from there, my work got enough eyes that the people at the Athletics saw it, and they decided, you know, they wanted to talk to me about a job. So that's kind of how I ended up 
uh, at the athletic kind of a weird, strange journey. I don't think a ton of people, uh, took a, a very similar journey, but, um, yeah, I wouldn't trade it for anything. It was fantastic. Yeah, it is quite the winding road, as you say. When you uh, were working in politics, were you doing any writing? Um, I wasn't doing, you know, political writing. So it was all any any writing I was doing was all kind of devoted towards, uh, you know, those random fan posts that I'm sure maybe a hundred people saw, but uh, nothing kind of outside of that. Just uh, just you know, random thoughts that I would have you know, from time to time, maybe jot some notes going door to door, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So when you decided to start posting for the Daily Norseman, I mean, obviously it blew up into this whole, what specifically appealed to you about that idea of being able to almost put your thoughts to paper, figuratively speaking? Yeah, well, I think it was the fact, look, so I've got a debate background. It's kind of what led me to politics in the first place. Um, I debated, you know, nine years, four years in, uh, in high school, five years in college. I became a debate coach uh, for a while. That was kind of my side gig while I was also doing political work and uh, breaking down arguments in, in, in ways that I thought were digestible and interesting and also were looking at arguments in sports in, I think, a lot of different ways um, was, was really appealing to me. And because I could write about whatever I wanted in whatever way I wanted – uh, I, w I was able to, I think, explore some of these questions in, in new angles. Like the, the the piece on Cam Newton, I was I was just evaluating does does winning in college really matter in the NFL? And you know, I, I figured that it probably doesn't. You know, I, I know a ton of people who've won in the in college and haven't won in the NFL, and I broke it down kind of analytically. Uh, I'm, I'm sure the the piece is just garbage, but uh, I was able to look at it. I think in a in a, a a bit of a different way. Uh, and, um, the fact that I was able to do that, I think was, was really appealing because when you work in politics, the way that you, you craft your messages is all very specific and it's all, you know, crafted to appeal to as many people within the niche that you're working in as possible. Um, you don't actually get as much kind of creative freedom to talk about the things that you want to talk about. Um, you've got kind of a very specific goal in mind, uh, and you're either kind of raising money or you're lobbying for a specific bill. Uh, and, and there's like tested language that they want you to use, uh, that that's very effective, but doesn't give you a, a ton of outlets. So here I was able to, you know, write, uh, about what I wanted the way that I wanted. And I could use dry language if I wanted to do it, or I could use very precise or specific language if I wanted. I didn't have to use kind of this broad, almost meaningless language to talk about something that I kind of cared about to talk about something that, you know, I, I really cared about. So uh, there was, there's something about that creative outlet, about being able to talk about stuff in the way that I wanted to talk about it, without also being restricted. Yeah, absolutely. And then you were, so we just talked about, you know, those are the things that kind of separated your writing from the political job you have. But now that you have all that in the rear view, is there anything that you carried over from your career, brief career in politics to your writing job? Uh, probably. I mean, there's not a ton that I could say, you know, this, that, there, uh, you know, is, is, you know, what I took from that and I was able to translate into writing that way. I mean, w one thing about being in debate is that uh, the way high school and college debate works, they don't actually train you to be very good communicators. They train you to be very good at analysis and argument. Um, and so, and, and those can all, all be very distinct from each other. 
So when I'm working in politics and I'm going door to door and I'm talking to people, you have to learn to be a good communicator. I mean, I, I, have, I held that job for a couple of years, so uh, I was able to kind of grow and learn in terms of the way to, to talk to people about uh, issues on kind of their level, right? And, and, and what works for like individual people, what's working, you know, in suburb A isn't working in, you know, apartment in the inner city B, right? And so uh, you have to figure out kind of, the way that that people communicate and and i think you know i was complaining about how restrictive the language was just a second ago but it was important for me to do that uh because uh you know talking about things in ways that aren't immediately you know the language that works immediately well for me isn't what works immediately well for somebody else uh i'm really confident that being forced to do that allowed me to be a better communicator generally which obviously you know that's still my job so uh, that's probably been big. I think, you know, sports and politics are inseparable to me. And so, you know, that political background, uh, I think is also really valuable. I mean, I'm sure there's like 8 million other things I could list, but, um, those are probably two of the biggest things. And then the other interesting thing that stood out to me about your background is that it seems like you made the jump basically from being a blogger to more longer form stuff with the athletic. How did you find that transition when you first started? Well, I think a lot of the the blogging that I was doing was not too different. Hopefully, it's higher quality now, but it's not too different in style uh, from the from the stuff I was doing at the Athletic. And when I'm blogging, you know, I, I I've got the ability to kind of explore a bunch of different angles, figure out what I'm good at, what I'm not good at. Um, the stuff I'm doing at the Athletic is is very analytical. I'm also doing kind of film work and stuff like that. And that's the stuff that I've I found for me. You know, I, I tend to be a lot better at and I've got a lot of resources to reach out to people to kind of improve in that specific area. I'm not as good at stuff like feature writing. And so, you know, I, I learned that while I was blogging, you know, it's just not kind of a, a strength that I have. And I still try, you know, to, to improve in that area. But, you know, there are, there are areas of writing that I wasn't as good at and areas of writing that, that I that I was able to get better at quickly um, that I kind of explored as a blogger. And so I think one of the things, you know, in the in kind of the Vikings blog community that I ended up getting kind of known for was that I'd write just really long pieces, you know, 3,000, 6,000 words. Um, the stuff I'm writing the Athletic is actually a lot shorter <laughs> because I've learned to be better at communicating my thoughts um, that, uh, that I was able to kind of just kick around. You know, when you're uh, the editor-in-chief of a blog, you no one's stopping you from doing anything ever. And so um, I'm, I'm writing these these really long pieces. And, and uh, over time, I was able to figure out kind of what works, pair those down and, and, and whatnot. But I've always been kind of a long form guy because, I mean, as you can kind of tell from this interview, I can't stop talking. <laughs> well, it works out in your line of work, I'd say, especially when it comes to podcasting. I <laughs> know, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then obviously, yeah, it seems like Great gig, but what about it specifically have you come to really enjoy now that you've been for a little bit? Yeah, well, it, it, I'd never been able to, to work for at a place that had uh, a bunch of different resources. And I don't just mean like money, although that's, you know, nice. Um, but but they've got, you know, like 300 other writers I can talk to at any time. I can just message them uh, and ask them about their angle or, or see kind of what the the – you know, the, the angle is here or, or, or what, um, you know, the, the appropriate way to evaluate this is, um, you know, they've got, you know, people who are great at, at breaking down film, people who are great, 
uh, with, with working data. They've got people, you know, for every team. So if I've got a question about a team, I can just ask them. Um, they've got all sorts of people that I can just ask questions to, and I, I do it all the time. Uh, and and I, and I never really had that that network to work with, not just across a bunch of different markets that have different insights into you know different players and teams, but also different ways of looking at uh, you know kind of the same stuff I'm looking at. Uh, and so if I wanted to talk about you know data and football, I can just talk to Ben Baldwin over at the Athletic who does a bunch of data work. Or if I wanted to talk about the draft, I can I can message Dan Brugler. If I want to talk about film, I can talk to Ted Wynn. Um, there's a bunch of different ways I can take a look at something and ask questions and get really good answers. And so the resources I have available to me, just in terms of that, is just really remarkable. And I, I love just you know if I don't know the answer to something, there is somebody I can message that does. Uh, and I think that might be my favorite thing about it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's uh, the ability to be able to bounce ideas off of a bunch of other people who are exactly like-minded and sort of uh, have a lot of different areas of expertise, like you said, it's probably invaluable. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, there are story angles that uh, I, I would have never thought of if uh, if I didn't try to bounce some ideas one way. You know, sometimes uh, I think, you know, the direction I'm going to be writing is going one way. And I talk to three people and I realize I'm writing the story backwards. I got to I got to move it in, in another direction, maybe even come to the opposite conclusion that I had originally thought I was going to be writing. So, yeah, just really just a, an incredible resource to have available to you to, to talk to people who, you know, think about stuff in different ways, but are really open to, to talking to you about all of those things. Yeah, it sounds sounds like a great place. Now, moving on to the uh, next part of the video here, which is some Vikings questions. So, to start, this is, you know, this is the big thing for the Vikings this year. Very exciting season, but I think, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, team MVP probably has to be Dalvin Cook. The guy has been absolutely fantastic. And this really, what the most impressive, well, maybe not the most impressive, but the best part about it is that it's his first season that he's been more or less completely healthy and available for the entire year. So, what does his presence do for this offense? Yeah, no, he's he's been really tremendous. You know, there's uh, there's something within kind of the analytics community in football where you know running backs don't matter is kind of the thing that they've been uh, memeing this year. It's it's been kind of a very strong uh, undercurrent. And generally speaking, you know, I, I think there's a really good argument to it. For someone like Dalvin Cook, it's very difficult to to apply that mantra to what he does. And I think you know he does a lot that kind of transcends at least this year kind of running back production, because I think most of the reason that the analytic community is suspicious about the value of running backs is not just that running the ball is, is not as efficient as passing, but also running backs don't tend to be in control of their production. It's very much scheme oriented or the blocking that you get in front of you. And then the running backs contribution to rushing yardage is actually very minimal, statistically speaking. But with Dalvin Cook, it's, it's really not the case. You can take a look at it analytically and say, you know, hey, he's got, you know, this uh, great elusive rating at one point this year. He was like second in PFF elusive rating. He breaks tackles. He's got yards after contact. But also watching it, it's very clear that he does a very good job of generating yards that just simply aren't there for running backs, whether it's because, you know, the uh, uh, blocking in the backfield kind of broke down. The Vikings actually don't have a great run blocking rate, which is very unusual for the amount of uh, efficiency and, and production they've been able to get from running. Uh, you know, whether it's because, you know, the scheme isn't really kind of dialed up, you know, if they're running wide zone to, you know, the, the, the boundary side of the field, 
Uh, and, and they've got numbers there, you know, Dalvin cook can, can make that bad decision look really good, really quickly. And so, you know, he's able to create yards that I think just most running backs just wouldn't be able to do. He's got a really unique skill set in that he's got home run hitting capability, but he also takes on contact really well. Uh, and so the fact that they can run it from basically any situation really have home run capable, uh, running back that can that can score from from any situation. I think that's that's done so much for the offense where they can kind of if Cousins isn't having a, a good day, which is is happening less and less often, honestly, um, they can turn to Delvin Cook and you know get a first down on 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 second and eight, which you just don't see from running back. So you know they've got uh, the ability to to force defenses into single high because they got to keep a safety down that simplifies the reads for cousins. Uh, it really kind of opens up the rest of the game just because he individually uh, does so much that even when you've schemed everything perfectly against the Vikings in terms of, you know, stopping their wide zone running attack, uh, he's able to create yards until they have to continue kind of throwing bodies at the problem. So uh, there's a lot he does in the running game that makes him effective. There's a lot he does in the pass game. He's a great pass catcher um, that makes him effective, but yeah, you know, he, he's, he might be the most talented player that they have on offense. And that is an extraordinarily talented offense. Yeah, I'd say so. And then you mentioned Kirk Cousins and this again, Cook probably plays a large part in this, but he has been from, you know, from an outside perspective, he's been pretty consistent, much more consistent than last year. What has changed from last year to this year that has allowed him to kind of bring his, not have those games where everybody points and laughs at Kirk Cousins, basically. <laughs> well, there's a couple of things that that he's not in control of that's kind of improved in the situation around him, and there's a couple of things that that he's done specifically that that he's improved at. And I think from a situation perspective, I think uh, having Kevin Stefanski as the offensive coordinator has been really tremendous. Having Gary Kubiak kind of advise that offense has been good because it's a really great fit for Cousins. You know, he's a he's you know every quarterback is better under play action, but he's uniquely good at play action. I think Jalen Ramsey pointed that out when he was blasting, you know, 30 other quarterbacks uh, a year ago um, that, you know, he thought Cousins was actually pretty good at play action. And it turns out statistically that's the case. He's kind of uniquely good at it. Uh, you watch it on film. That seems to be the case. He's kind of uniquely good at it. Um, and they've implemented a lot more of that. And the, the Kubiak scheme just tends to be much more play action friendly because um, you can, you can run those offensive linemen to the sideline without having to worry about, you know, an eligible man downfield just because that's the way that the running scheme works is that there's a lot of lateral blocking. So a lot of the plays look the same. So tons of play action that helps. Uh, the offensive line has improved. It's not tremendous or anything like that, but it's improved pretty significantly. You know, we already mentioned, you know, Dalvin Cook's been healthy. So that kind of helps threaten play action, especially to the outside. Uh, and then, you know, Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen, um, Thielen's been injured for the past couple of games, but, but they're being used a lot better in this offense. You know, they're, they're threats at all three levels of the field, but the fact that Diggs is kind of a deep threat kind of went under the radar for the past couple of seasons under different offensive coordinators. Now he's getting open deep because he's got that capability of throwing it to him and they've created a super efficient offense. At the same time, Cousins himself has really improved at situational football. I remember in 2018 in, in training camp and in practice, the offense never won a two-minute drill, like zero times. They did it every single day in training camp. The offense never won. Uh, and now, you know, Cousins is leading 20-point comebacks and so on. So he's a lot more aware of how to change his style of play based on the situation, which is something he wasn't able to do last year. So a lot of things he's done that's different, a lot of things that the offense done that's different, and it's kind of cohered in, into this 
um, offense that has the ability, maybe not to score at will. They're not quite the Ravens or anything like that, but but they they seem to be acting like a top five offense, which is kind of unusual for Vikings fans to see. <laughs> very unusual, and it's been you know very solid year. A lot of good stuff going on that we just talked about, but this Monday night game against the Packers, not this week, but the next looms as the game of the year for the Vikings. And obviously the teams have changed a lot since they met back in September when the Vikings lost. But what adjustments do you see Mike Zimmer making for this Monday night game that will prop may determine the Vikings playoff hopes? Well, defensively, I don't know how many additional adjustments they might make. I mean, obviously, you know, you see the Packers score 21 points. That's uh, not great. It's not awful. But uh, it turns out after the first three drives, the Packers just never scored again. The defense actually adjusted really well after the third drive. Um, obviously, those first three drives still happened, and they counted, and the Vikings lost. But uh, the the defense kind of figured out how they needed to play the Packers in that game. And I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, maybe they they – kept the defensive adjustments they've had over the past two weeks instead of, you know, repeating the same defense that they had in week two. But um, for the most part, I think the defense will be largely the same. Uh, I think having Anthony Barr uh, with the ability to kind of spy quarterbacks and, and kind of corral them, keep them kind of behind in the pocket, you know, is pretty tremendous. Um, so for the most part, I think defensively, we'll, we'll see kind of a lot of similar stuff. Offensively, you know, the Vikings kind of just fell apart against the Packers. And a lot of that is because, the Packers were allowing uh, Dalvin Cook to kind of run all over them. I think he finished like 7.7 yards per carry. Um, and that's because they were biting on um, the pass every single time. And so play action got shut down really quickly. We just talked about how important it is for Cousins. Um, they stopped attacking the running back on every running play, and they started attacking the quarterback. The Vikings didn't get access to play action. So I think they're going to try and figure out either ways whether or not they're going to run the ball more or ways that they're going to try and open up the passing game in a world where the Packers are just not that interested in stopping the run. So I think offensively, that's where you're going to see most of your adjustments to try and attack the Packers uh, either with screens because, you know, that kind of approach, you know, leaves the edge unguarded or, you know, kind of just run the ball more um, to the outside, kind of away from Zedarius Smith or away from Preston Smith, whoever's kind of tasked with uh, shutting down uh, the bootleg. Um, but yeah, they'll, they'll probably need to find ways to produce in the passing game without play action. Uh, and I think that's kind of where the most of their focus is going to be. So I think a lot of the game planning for the Packers, that's going to happen offensively, even though that's been kind of a unit that's been working a little bit better this season uh, than defensively, because defensively, they do just a really great job against uh, Aaron Rodgers. I mean, they ha- they've done it really well historically uh, under Mike Zimmer. Mm-hmm. And then we were just talking about, you know, the defense plays well against the Packers. But as a whole, you know, from outside perspective, from somebody like me who doesn't cover the Vikings and watches all the games, it seems like this this unit has run into some surprising issues given their talent level and given Mike Zimmer is a defense first guy, right? They've given up some big point totals and especially that 37-point uh, game against the Seahawks kind of stands out because they're a potential playoff opponent. Is there any any area that the defense really needs to lock down as they kind of get in the stretch run here leading into the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, the Vikings are an offensive team, so, which is just such a very, it's a strange thing to think, especially in the Zimmer era. But just, you know, for the past, ever since like 2005, the Vikings have been, you know, a defensive team. And so uh, to see the offense just this far ahead of the defense it's unusual. Fans are concerned. This is not something that they're used to seeing. Uh, and, and, and like you said, the, the defense has kind of given up big point totals. You mentioned the 37 point to Seattle. I think 
you know, they didn't love giving up 30 points to the Lions the first time. Uh, both games against the Packers and the Bears featured initial drives where, where the defense just kind of gave up points. You know, giving up points to Aaron Rodgers is one thing. To Chase Daniel, it's kind of another thing. Uh, and so um, th- there have been there have been struggles. But the thing that's pretty unusual is if you take a look at it kind of individually, Daniel Hunter's having a really remarkable season. Everson Griffin's having a great season. Eric Kendricks is playing at an all-pro level. A lot of players on defense individually are having remarkably good seasons. The only exception is at the cornerback position, which it turns out, uh, you take a look at those analytics people that are like talking to at the athletic, the cornerback position uh, statistically is the most important position to have on a defense performing really well. And while that typically would be, uh, uh, you know, a mark in favor of the Vikings, Xavier Rhodes you know, at one point was, you know, potentially an all pro quality corner right now, all of the cornerbacks uh, on the outside, at least are playing really, really poorly. You know, Trey Waynes is, is uh, 113th in yards per snap given up among corners. There's only like 120 that qualify. Um, you know, Xavier Rhodes is having a really awful time, you know, trying to shut down uh, receivers. Uh, and so on the outside, receivers are just gashing them. And so over the past two weeks since the bye, uh, Zimmer's kind of changed what that defense has looked like. You know, they're playing kind of press coverage a lot more. They're playing um, more base coverages instead of the complex coverages we're used to seeing from them, trying to shut down on miscommunication issues. And the secondary has played better. I know that we just talked about them giving up 37 points to the Seahawks, but what's interesting is that Russell Wilson had one of his lower yards per attempt uh, as a passer as he had all season. It was really just kind of a one 60-yard touchdown to David Moore that was a result of a coverage confusion on actually one of the more complex coverages that ended up uh, kind of being the difference in that game. So uh, we might be seeing that defensive turnaround already, but you know whether or not we see it, we just need to see a better games from that cornerback group because everyone else, aside from kind of the three-technique position, everyone else is playing really excellent football, but that's kind of the nature of the defense. The offense gets to pick their poison. They get to pick the weakest link. The Vikings' weakest link right now is, is keeping them out of the top 10 in terms of uh, you know, how good of a defense they can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a weird time to be a Vikings fan, I can imagine. But in the past, defense first hasn't always uh, paid dividends. So maybe things will be different this time, right? <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Yeah. Having an explosive offense, you know, that's something, you know, you're down 10 points in the fourth quarter. Finally, you know, you can kind of trust that offense to, to make up that difference. Yeah, exactly. So we're really headed into the last couple of weeks of the season here, but the NFC playoff picture is still a complete disaster, right? I mean, we got tons of the top four stops right. aren't settled. The Saints are the only team that have clinched the playoff spot. The Vikings still could win the NFC North. But let me pose to you a hypothetical. So the ideal situation is that the Vikings, if they don't win the division, squeak up into the five seed so they can play Dallas. But if that does not end up happening, they end up as a six seed and they could play any four of the Packers, Niners, Seahawks, or Saints. Which of those teams do you feel like the Vikings match up best with? I think the Packers. Uh, I think historically they've done better against the Packers than, uh, first of all, any of those teams, uh, as, uh, as especially as they're currently constructed. But also the Packers are just not as good as uh, as, as the Saints, Seahawks, or uh, 49ers. Um, the 49ers seem like a remarkably complete team. The Saints uh, have gotten back in stride offensively. Their defense has been great. Uh, and, and the Seahawks, I mean, we just saw you know the, the trouble that they gave the Vikings. The Packers, you know, their passing game just isn't there, which is a very weird thing to say about kind of an Aaron Rodgers-led offense. Um, but the passing game is not nearly as potent as it is for those three other teams. And, and it's not like Jimmy Garoppolo's, you know, 
crushing everything, but he's been having a pretty good season, and, and that and that 49ers offense finds ways to score, whereas the Packers are having a lot of trouble doing the same thing. So I think it's the Packers. Uh, the defense uh, started out really strong for them uh, for the first couple of weeks and has kind of dropped off. You can't really say that about um, the Seahawks, who have gotten better defensively as the season has gone on. You can't say that about the Saints or the 49ers. So I think the fact that they've got familiarity with the Packers and that familiarity seems to help the Vikings more than it does the Packers, um, He's probably probably goes in their favor. Whereas, you know, even though the Vikings beat the 49ers last year in week one, there were just a lot of opportunities for that offense that they didn't execute on. George Kittle was, you know, dropping passes and stuff like that. I don't think that's happening this year. So um, I think the best possible, um, you know, if the Vikings don't get the bye, which is weirdly still in play somehow. Um, if, if they don't get the bye, they, they would much rather play. If it's not the Cowboys, they'd much rather play the Packers. And I, as a neutral observer, that is 100% the best outcome. The nice little Sunday night Packers, Vikings at Lambeau. Beautiful. Oh, Perfect. yeah. Uh, yeah, so, absolutely. Yep. So for the next part, just some more fun, lighthearted questions. Number one, what is your favorite NFL stadium? Oh, wow. My favorite stadium. Uh, <laughs> U.S. Bank is really, really remarkable. I'll say that. Um but if I wanted to go kind of outside uh, Minnesota, uh, as a as a neutral, as somebody not in the media, I would probably really enjoy the Seahawks stadium. I did back in, in 2013 when I visited. Um, that stadium is really fun. Um, but it, as a member of the press, it's kind of awful just to try and navigate that 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 labyrinth that the press has to navigate. So um, I can't really pick them. Um, I like MetLife when it's the Giants, uh, when it's the Jets. I don't love it um, just because the, the press food is just not good when it's the Jets. Uh, if I'm just going to be, you know, put it all out there. Um, yeah, I don't know. This, this one's tough because, you know, I've been to a couple of stadiums and I haven't really thought about which one I love the most. Uh, Lambo is just an incredible experience. And despite the fact that it's one of the older stadiums, uh, as a member of the press, it's, you know, it's it's got it's got more space and it's got you know more access to to technology and and you know amenities. The the Bears press box is super cramped, and so I really appreciate kind of what's happening at Lambeau. Um, so I could say Lambeau, and I, I wouldn't hate it. The food wasn't all that bad, so uh, no negative marks there. But I think I think my favorite has to be MetLife when it's the Giants. Solid answer. Lots of people do say U.S. Bank Stadium when I pose that question to them, but I appreciate you trying to. Uh go outside the box there a little bit. Yeah, you know, who knows what I'm blinded by. I'm glad other people say U.S. Bank Stadium, so I don't feel like a, a crazy homer. But uh, it, it's it's incredible, for, both as a fan and as a member of the press, just to be able to, to navigate and work with kind of all the amenities that they have there. Yeah, that's quite a piece of work. Uh, what is your go-to restaurant in the Minneapolis area? Go-to restaurant? Um well, I used to live across a, a restaurant called uh, Eli's East. They've got two locations, one downtown, one east, but they have different menus. Uh, and that was really, really remarkable. But I haven't been there in a while. Um, I'm going to actually go with a diner. Uh, ideal diner uh, seats like 12 people. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's got the best pancakes I've ever had. Um, so uh, it's, it's sort of in the uptown area, not quite... Um, sort of in the Northeast area, not quite. Um, but yeah, it's it's just this tiny diner. Like I said, it's 12 people. 
really incredible pancakes, really good food. Uh, it closes at three, but we try to go there uh, as often as possible just because uh, I've, I, I can't figure out how to make pancakes nearly as good as that. <laughs> See, that's exactly the type of place that I'm trying to get at when I ask this question. Nice little hole in the wall. They got one really good thing. Perfect. That's on my list for the next time I'm in Minnesota. Um, fantastic. Who, or what, what's the next one? <laughs> right. Who has been your favorite player to interview so far in your career? Or person, manager, anybody, just anybody that you've interviewed for a piece, just who's your favorite? Uh, Alan Page, uh, without question, former Vikings defensive tackle, former Minnesota State Supreme Court Justice. Um, yeah, uh, there's, there's no question about that. Uh, I mentioned I was pretty poor at writing feature pieces. Uh, that was not an issue with, uh, with Justice Page, who uh, makes it very, very easy to write because he's had such a fascinating life. Uh, and is just so remarkable at putting his thoughts uh, into words that, you know, it's, it's quite, he just makes your writing look good because all you have to do is quote him. Um, so uh, he's great uh, in part because, you know, he's been so involved in the community here in Minnesota, um, both as, uh, you know, a member of kind of an, uh, a director of a nonprofit, the Page Education Foundation, which he talks about a lot. I actually just sometimes I accidentally meet people who have benefited from his nonprofit work who have no idea that I work in sports and they talk about, you know, how important Alan Page has been to their life. Um, but also, you know, I've been able to talk to him about kind of social justice issues and about kind of race in America and stuff like that. And he's got a really great nuanced perspective, which uh, is great. I mean, you'd hope that for somebody who's, uh, you know, been uh, at the, the top level of the, of the legal ladder uh, here in Minnesota. Um, but also, you know, he was a really remarkable player playing. I, I personally, I think he's the best defensive tackle of all time. Um, and, uh, and, and talking to him about kind of how football was in the sixties, how it's evolved. I mean, he's got a super open mind, so he never really judges, you know, you know, back in my day, you know, he's never really liked that, but he does talk about kind of how things are different. Um, you know, he's got a lot of thoughts on a lot of different things and he's really great at expressing them. He's a very thoughtful person. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, if you ask him a question and he pauses for a second, you're going to get a really great answer. So, uh, Alan Page, without a doubt, I've been able to interview him two or three times. Um, he's just a remarkable interview. Yeah. I mean, how many people in this entire world have had that kind of combination of experiences? It sounds absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Totally unique, really crazy, ran marathons while he was playing football too, in addition to going to law school. Come on. Just leave a little yeah. for the rest of us. <laughs> right. Um, what's something about your job that you feel like other people don't know or don't really understand? Uh, I think a lot of people don't understand how difficult it is to get answers from people. I mean, uh, there's, there's this kind of this general sense that fans are, are with the team. And so when the media... Uh, is kind of critical of a team or if the media is trying to get answers, you know, fans are, are they watch a presser and, and they see Mike Zimmer is kind of annoyed at, at a member of the media and they, they tend to take Mike Zimmer's side. Like, you know, ah, it must be so annoying to have to answer those questions, which is true. It's got to be super obnoxious to answer questions, especially after a loss. Um, but then, you know, they ask us questions about every manner or, or nuance of the team, which is great. I want to answer them. But if I don't have an answer, a lot of that, you know, maybe maybe I'm not doing enough work, but a lot of that is because it is impossible for us to get an answer from the team, and they don't connect those, like, annoying questions where they're mad at the media. They don't connect that to the fact that, you know, we have the ability or don't have the ability to provide, you know, people with an answer. And so, you know, I get, I get asked a question about, 
you know, this guy who's never been active on game day, just, you know, he's the 53rd person on the roster. You know, how is he doing? I have no idea. I have to ask. <laughs> and, uh, and so, uh, you know, if, if I don't get an answer from Mike Zimmer or from the position coach, I just don't have an answer. Uh, and so uh, I think people just don't connect how difficult it is to try and get a go. And when you get an answer, you know, very often it's, it's, you know, it's, it's almost like a political answer, right? You know, they're not going to necessarily tell you the truth. And so a lot of our job is trying to figure out kind of what the coach is telling us, if they're telling us anything, how much of that is really applicable to the kinds of questions we really want answered and try to translating that, you know, kind of going forward. And I think a lot of people don't really understand when Mike Zimmer's annoyed at us, it's totally his right to be annoyed at us. But if you like, you know, quote unquote, like take his side, which is totally fine. You should also realize that the other end of that is that we might not be able to provide the stories or the answers that you're looking for. So I think that's the thing that people don't understand is that, yeah, people get mad at, you know, oh, the negative, you know, media or whatever, which is, I don't really care about that. But the consequence of that is that very often, if, you know, if the team kind of, you know, quote unquote, gets their way about being able to answer questions or availability or whatever, is that, you know, we don't get to provide as much thorough coverage. And so it would be, it's contradictory to be both mad at the media for being probing and also being mad at the media for not having enough answers. So I think that's the one thing that, that I wish would you know get across a little bit more often. You don't have to take our side, but you know the the other end of that is that we just don't have as much information. Yeah, absolutely, that makes perfect sense. Thought a lot about that. Um, and then last but certainly not least, you've been you've been blogging for the better part of the decade. You've been a full time blogger for quite a while now. When you look back, is there anything that you wish you knew back when you were starting out? Uh, how to write. <laughs> I think uh, I, there, there's, there's a lot of things, you know, I, I feel like I've probably written a bunch of things that uh, the conclusions are incorrect or the premises were wrong. Just, I just didn't have as much football knowledge as I do now. Um, but it, it's tough. The stuff that I'm learning about the industry now is not stuff that was remotely applicable to, to the way I was blogging back then. Um, I, kind of glad there's some stuff that I didn't know that I know now, for example, how hard it is to get this kind of job. You know, if, if I had known that, <laughs> I don't think I would have started. Um, the odds are phenomenally low and I'm pretty lucky. Um, but yeah, just all kinds of just small things like, uh, you know, how accessible players might be. Like if you want to um, talk about a player, it's, it's actually not that difficult to figure out who their agent is and contact their agent. I wish I'd done that kind of yeah. going forward. You know, if I, um, it, you know, it, uh, I didn't know how to, to kind of get on a player's good side. Now there's all kinds of like small tips and tricks. And so, uh, you know, which fundamentally just boils down to being like a good person. But uh, it was kind of nice to learn that along the way. So uh, just kind of how to do the job, which I know sounds super broad, but informally trained like I am, it was crazy invaluable learning as I was kind of progressing forward. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Arif, that'll conclude this episode. Thank you so much for taking the time and really giving me as much thought as you possibly had and all the honesty and candidness that you displayed during the interview. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me again. Absolutely. And thank you, listener, for tuning into this episode of the Press Pass Podcast. I am Liam McEwen, signing off.